Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. So glad that you're here today. Grab your worship guide, if you will, flip it over to the back, and uh, we'll continue in our teaching series. We've been looking for the last four weeks uh, through the book of Psalms at the different songs that God's people sang. And I, I hope that as we have been going through this series, I, I hope that it's been leading you to appreciate and enjoy this book of the Bible as much as it has uh, for me in the last in the last month. And so uh, if you got your Bible, open up to Psalm chapter 51. If you've got a smartphone or, or an app that has that, if not, it's there for you on the back of your worship guide. Let me ask you this question. Can you remember the first time or at least one of the first times that you felt guilty about something? I mean, you just, maybe for the first time, you experienced what guilt was. And it's that kind of overwhelming feeling of, of heaviness that you carry. It's a, it's a knot that wells up in your stomach. And, and then you begin to, to do that human nature thing that we all have of what am I going to do to cover this thing up? This, this sin, this problem, this difficulty that I have created, what am I going to do to cover it up? We, we've all been there. We've all experienced that. One of the first times uh, that I can remember, my, my sister and I were, were really young, and she was just driving me crazy, and so I had some bubblicious bubble gum in my mouth, and I just had it with her, and so I took it out of my mouth and stuck it in her hair. And my sister has really big, curly, uh, thick hair, and I just stuck it in her hair, and, and it, got, it got knotted up in there right away. And immediately, I felt guilty. I felt this knot in my stomach. I felt this heaviness of what I've done, and now the next step was I've got to cover this up before my mom finds out what I've done. And so I went and I got some scissors, and some of you are ahead of me in the story already. I went and I got some scissors and began to cut the gum out of her hair because I was trying to do everything I could to cover up the guilt that I was feeling. When I was about 13, 14 years old, my family went to visit my grandparents in Ohio. We were at my grandparents' house, and my grandfather always was just great about, he had farms, it was always great about letting me drive his mower and different things. And so, I'm, again, I'm 13, 14 years old, and he, he tosses me his car keys, and he says, hey, go move my car out of the driveway out onto the street because we need the driveway cleared. Now, I didn't know how to do that, but I, I, nobody's ever tossed me their keys before, and so I, I did it. And I'm backing his car out of the driveway, and I run the whole side of the car into a fence and just scrape it up really good. So everybody's inside, nobody has seen me do this yet. The guilt starts to set in, the heaviness, the knot in my stomach, and so what do I naturally do? I've gotta figure out a way to cover this up. 
And so I'm doing everything I can to try to wipe the scratches off. I couldn't get them off, but I left it where it was parked the other direction on the street where he couldn't see it. And then we got in our car, my family got in our car and drove eight hours back to where we lived. And I'm sitting in the back seat carrying this weight and this guilt and this heaviness of am I going to be found out? We've all been there. We've all experienced that gut-wrenching feeling. David said this in Psalm chapter 38, verse number four, talking about guilt. He said, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. You ever been there? You ever felt that guilt that you say, it's just, it's too great, it's too much to bear? We all know that feeling. Now, let's ask this question. Is guilt some kind of punishment that God sends our way just to, to make us feel bad when we've done wrong? Is that what guilt's about? Does God say, you've messed up, you've sinned, so, so carry this for a while. See how this feels for a while. You've hurt somebody else, so you carry this for a while. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you the answer is no. You see, the, the purpose of guilt is so much more than making you feel bad about what you've done. The, the, the purpose is so much bigger than that. Guilt is actually a warning light. It really is. It's a warning light. It's a light that goes off in our lives that says something like this. Something's wrong. Something's not right. Something in your life needs to be fixed. It's like the warning light that goes off on the dashboard of my truck. And when I'm driving down the road and the warning light, the dash light comes on, what is it saying? Something's wrong. Something needs to be fixed. Now, I can do a couple different things. I can uh, put something over it so I don't see it anymore. I can pull the hood up and I can pull a fuse out so that the light goes off and I don't see it. Or I can go figure out what is wrong with my truck and get it fixed. Now, for us to fully appreciate Psalm chapter 51 this morning, we've got to understand the context. We've got to understand how David got to the place where he wrote this. And the story of the backstory of Psalm chapter 51 is found in 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. And so for us to, to understand really the, the weight and the heaviness of Psalm chapter 51, we, we've got to see where David was in his life as he writes this, this chapter. So, Psalm, or 2 Samuel 11 and 12 gives us this backstory, and, and here's what's going on in, in 2 Samuel chapter 11. We read that a guy by the name of Uriah, he was Bathsheba's husband, he was out in battle, and he's risking his life to, for David, he's risking his life for the kingdom in battle. While Uriah is gone, David brings Uriah's wife Bathsheba to the palace, and he sleeps with her. And as a result of that, Bathsheba gets pregnant. You know the story. And David's first thoughts were not the realization of his sin, but they were of the guilt and the heaviness and how am I going to cover this up? All David's thinking about is his own reputation, his pleasure, his pride, his safety, his own life. And to keep his secret from being exposed, he was willing to do anything and everything. So what does David do? He sends word to have Uriah sent to the front of the battle, and you know the story. 
He's sent to the very front, the most dangerous part of the battle, and Uriah is killed by the enemy in battle. And when it's all said and done, David's probably thinking to himself, that came off better than I thought. It all kind of worked out okay. And it probably seemed like things were gonna be fine. Because actually for the next nine months, nothing really happened. David must have thought, I've covered this up, nobody really knows. But listen to how 2 Samuel chapter 11 ends. It says, but the Lord was displeased with what David had done. And we get to 2 Samuel chapter 12, and God sends the prophet Nathan to King David. And the prophet comes in and says, King, can I tell you a story? He says, sure, tell me a story. He says, there's this rich guy. He's got all these sheep, all these lambs. And there's a really poor guy, and he only has one lamb. But the rich guy has guests coming over, and he wants to throw a big party for them. And so rather than killing one of his own sheep, one of his own lambs, he goes and gets the one and only lamb that the poor man has. He kills that lamb and he feeds it to his guest. King, what do you think should be done to the rich man that did that? And David, he's filled with anger. He's filled with rage when he hears this story to think something like this could be going on in his own kingdom. And David says this, that man should die. And then Nathan the prophet looks at the king and says, you are that man. And at that moment, David's life blew up. His sin was exposed to the world and the guilt and the the weight began to rush in and crush him. Regret began to rush into his heart. And the time came for the king to do something that no king wanted to do. He had to look into the mirror and say, Probably the three most difficult words that any person would say in the English language, I have sinned. I've sinned. Nobody wants to say those words. But there's no getting right until we admit how badly we've done wrong. And so it's through the tears, it's through the guilt that King David sits down and he writes this song, he writes this poem that we now call Psalm 51. Thousands of years later, we come back again and again to this passage of scripture. But David begins the chapter by crying out to God with two key things. They're there on your notes. Number one is this. He cries out to God with confession and repentance. David cries out in his his guilt, in his, his heaviness, with the knot in his stomach, he cries out to God with confession and repentance. David doesn't appeal to God's justice. That's not gonna work in this situation. He doesn't appeal to God's goodness. He doesn't promise God, I'll do better next time. He appeals to God's love and mercy. You see, the the time for excuses are over. There's no rationalization for murder. There's no rationalization for his adultery. 
There's no more time for saying, well, kings do this kind of stuff, you know. There's no more time for saying, well, I, I, I just fell in a moment of weakness. And when we feel, listen, when we feel like we need to justify our sin, we're not in a place to be forgiven. Listen to how he says it. Verse number one, he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Confession, when we confess our sin, it should be specific. It should be concrete. It should be particular. Too often, this is what we do. We, we try to take care of our sin and we try to get rid of our guilt and our conviction by saying something like this. Dear God, if I've ever done anything wrong, please forgive me. Dear God, if I've ever let you down, please forgive me. Listen, would you accept that out of your children? Would you accept that from your spouse? If your children willfully disobeyed and then they said, hey, if I've ever done anything wrong, please forgive me. If your spouse hurt your feelings and they, they, they did something against you and then they said, you know what, if I've ever hurt you in any way, you wouldn't accept that. We've gotta be specific in our confession. To confess, listen to this. To confess means to own up to the fact that our behavior wasn't just a result of bad parenting, poor genes, jealous siblings, or a chemical imbalance from eating too many Twinkies. Confession means something different. It means that somewhere in my sin, there was a choice. And the choice was made by me doesn't need to be excused. It doesn't need to be explained and it doesn't even need to be understood. The choice needs to be forgiven. That's what confession is. First John chapter one, verse eight and nine says this, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he's faithful and he's just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Two questions in particular that we need to ask when we come to a time of confession and repentance. Here's the first one. You need to ask yourself, why did I do what I did? Why? What was the reason? Why did I do this? Why did I commit this sin? Maybe I'm, I'm trying to escape the consequences of something else that I did. I'm sorry, officer, I don't normally speed, but my speedometer's broken, and I had no idea how fast I was going. What am I doing? I'm covering up the fact that I was willfully speeding. Why? Why did I do what I did? When David cried out for God's mercy, he acknowledged the true source of the problem and where the healing must come from. You see, sin is often an attempt to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. So question number one, why did I do what I did? Here's the second thing. What happened as a result of my sin? 
What happened? Have I hurt somebody? Have I offended somebody? Have I ruined my testimony at work? What, what happened as a result of my sin? See, listen, sin is not only against God's law, but it's against God's love. And when we sin, we don't just disobey his word, but we trample on his heart. In true confession, it's not just this exchange of information with God. It's, it involves entering to, into the same pain that God feels about my sin. In other words, when we sin, yes, it hurts other people. Yes, it hurts us. Yes, it breaks God's law. But most importantly, it's breaking God's heart. So David begins with confession and repentance. Notice he asked God for two specific things. It's number two on your notes. He asked God for cleansing and restoration. In the second part of this song, David asked God for cleansing of his sin and for restoration, to renew things, to renew their relationship. Psalm 51 shows us a principle about forgiveness that I think for the most part can be universally true. How you and I respond when we have sinned reveals a great deal about our reality or lack of reality of our relationship with God. Many times when a sin has been committed, the question comes up, how do we know if the repentance is genuine? How do I know if somebody's really genuine when they're saying they're sorry? I think it was Spurgeon that said this. He said, the way to have confidence that repentance is genuine is that the repentance will be as notorious as the sin itself. Look at what David said. He said, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Re restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David begs God here to cleanse him from the stain of his sins. He wants God to wash him from the inside out. Notice a few things here about these, these verses. First of all, our cleansing comes from Jesus' blood. He teaches us that in verse number seven. He says, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Hyssop was a, a plant that was used during the first Passover in Egypt. It was a plant that they would dip the blood of that lamb in and they would put it on the doorpost of their house. And that way when the death angel came, he would pass over. And now the blood of Jesus is what covers us and cleanses us from our sin. I love to, to, to illustrate things. I love illustrations and things that we can go home and remember. The Bible tells us that when you and I came into this world, we had sin. I got sin, you've got sin. Nobody had to teach me how to sin. When I, I was born, I knew how to tell a lie. Nobody had to teach me how to tell a lie. I knew how to do that. I knew how to take things that didn't belong to me. Nobody had to teach me how to do that. And, and all throughout my life, sin has just gotten easier and easier and easier for me until my life gets filled up with sin. It's bad words that I say. 
It's being mean and rude to my wife when I should be kind to her. It's being short with my children when I should be patient with them and when I should listen to them. It's when somebody cuts me off in traffic and rather than saying, God bless you, I say something else. And my life gets filled up with sin and so does yours. But the Bible here tells us that if we'll confess our sin, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sin and then he does something, he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And so it's the blood of Jesus that not only covers our sin, it removes our sin and it takes it away and we're justified just as if we'd never sinned. And when God looks at us, he doesn't see the sin, he sees the blood of Jesus because the sin is not only covered, but in God's eyes, it's gone. So our cleansing comes from Jesus' blood. Notice another thing, he said our cleansing brings new hope. I love this. In verse number eight, he says, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. David knows that when God's forgiveness comes, his joy and his gladness will return as well. There'll be cause to rejoice. It's a new hope, it's a new feeling. The guilt is gone. Now notice, David has experienced this before. Look at Psalm 32, verse one and two. He said, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. There's joy when your disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Look at Psalm uh, 32, verse number five. He says, finally, I confessed all my sins to you and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And what? You forgave me. And all my guilt is gone. Not only is our our cleansing from Jesus' blood, our cleansing brings new hope, but, but notice he said, our cleansing brings restoration. It brings a new relationship, a restored relationship with God. He said, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The word create here, it means that David knows I can't do this on my own. I can't fix the relationship on my own. It's something that God has to create. And then in verse 12, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Listen, every sin, big or small, separates us from fellowship with God. It's perfectly possible for a person to be a Christian with unconfessed sin and live in a miserable way. David said, Lord, I'm I'm tired of being miserable. I'm tired of this miserable life. I want my relationship with you to be restored. Have you ever been in an argument with somebody and it just went on and on and on? And maybe you were short with them, maybe you just didn't talk to them anymore. And then one day something happened, you maybe said they were sorry, they said they were sorry, and then things were right again, and the joy that came back when there was restoration. My wife and I first got married, we went to Niagara, or not to Niagara Falls, went to the Statue of Liberty, I'm sorry. Went to visit the Statue of Liberty. And I, we were young and I was dumb and I was not good at saying I'm sorry and I'm still not good at saying I'm sorry. But just so happened the day that we were going to see the Statue of Liberty, I was in a bad mood already and it was pouring rain outside and we got there and the tickets were more than I was anticipating and so I, I was just in a bad mood. 
You ever been there, guys? This in a bad mood before the day ever started. Pouring the rain. We're getting out of the car, and we had one umbrella in the car. My wife opens the door, and she opens the umbrella out the door, and this big gust of wind grabs the umbrella, flips it upside down, inside out, and breaks it. Now I'm even in a worse mood, okay? So I get out of the car, all wet. I grab the umbrella. I'm not proud of this moment. I'm telling you as an illustration. I grab the umbrella, and I throw it in a garbage can, and we walk to the Statue of Liberty. I don't think either one of us spoke the whole time. And I was mad, now she's mad at me for just being mad. And I let this go on for several days, just being stubborn. And, and we got to the place where we didn't even know what we were mad about anymore. And I didn't even remember it was about this dumb umbrella. But after several days of going and being mad and frustrated with each other, I finally said, I'm sorry. It's my fault, it was over the dumb umbrella. Please forgive me. And, and I remember the joy and the, the, the feeling of forgiveness that came and the weight was gone and the relationship was restored. I've never been back to the Statue of Liberty since, but the relationship was restored. So David begins with confession and repentance. Then he asks God for cleansing and restoration. Then finally notice, David, as a result, he makes a commitment and a response. A commitment response, that's how he finishes the song. Check out verse 13. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. When David considers the lessons that he has learned from his sin, he vowed to God, listen, don't miss this. He vowed to God that he would use his experience. Please don't miss this. He vowed to God that he would use his experience to warn other people. He said, I, I'll tell other people that are living the same way I've lived, that are sinning the same way I've lived. I'll warn other people about the devastating consequences of sin. He said, I'll challenge other people who are living in sin to turn back to God. Hear, hear me this morning. When a person has personally experienced God's grace and known the true joy of being forgiven by God, and that person shares from their heart the testimony of a changed life, that's better than any sermon I could ever get up and preach. When a person has experienced God's grace and forgiveness and they share that testimony with others, I, I, that's better than anything I could get up and say. And David says when he's forgiven, he'll teach others about who God is, about what sin is, and what the solution to sin truly is. David's making a commitment not to waste what he's learned and what he's experienced. He's committing to allow his life to be a warning sign to others of the mistakes he's made. I wanna take the mistakes and the sins and the difficulties that I have caused in life, and I wanna warn other people. I really do. Because others have done that for me. A number of years ago, somebody in my extended family and I had a falling out. And we stopped talking. 
we went a long time without communicating. And we both allowed bitterness, stubbornness to allow that to continue way too long. But someone who loved and does love both of us very much contacted both of us and he said this. He said, I'm sending you both a plane ticket to a particular city. I want you to get on the airplane. I want you to fly to this particular city and I want you to meet me there. We both did. We met this individual in this city in four hours, literally. We sat and we talked through our issues. But God broke both of our hearts and we asked for forgiveness and forgiveness was given. But I've never gotten over that fact that the person that cared about both of us said to us, I've allowed this same issue of bitterness and difficulty to go on in my life and I don't wanna see it happen in yours. And that person said, I I love you too much to let you stay this way and so I wanna help you restore the relationship because God's done that for me. That's what David's committing to here in verse 13. But I want you to notice finally what David's experienced, true forgiveness, it brought a joyous response. Look at verse 15. It brought a joyous response. He said, open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. When you realize that you've sinned against God and you accept his grace and he's wiped away your sins, you can't help but worship. You can't help but rejoice. Psalm 32, 11 says, so rejoice in the Lord and be glad. All you who obey him, shout for joy, all whose hearts are pure. For 30 years, David had been a writer of songs. But now for nearly a year, his harp had been hung up. No songs were being written. And and I'm sure that the servants were saying, what's wrong with David? What's going on with him? Something's not right. And when there's unconfessed sin, our song is gone. Last Sunday, Evan introduced a new song to us. We sang it right before the message this morning. But last Sunday was the the first time I'd ever heard it and I was overwhelmed with the words of this song. It says, so I throw up my hands and I praise you again and again because all that I have is a hallelujah, hallelujah. And I know it's not much, but I have nothing else fit for a king except for a heart singing hallelujah. I've got one response. I've got just one move with my arms stretched wide. I'll worship you. That is the response of a person that's been forgiven. Maybe you're here today and you've never experienced God's forgiveness of your sin. You've heard a lot about him. You've been to church, but he's never been real to you. And today you can make a brand new change in your life. You can Become new. We started this morning in 2 Samuel. We wanna finish there. Because at the end of the story, 
Check out 2 Samuel 12, 13. It says, then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord's forgiven you. God wants you to do the same thing this morning. If you've never had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you can do it today. Romans 10, 9 and 10 and 13 says this, if we declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You can do that right where you are today. Now, some of you say, you know what, I've prayed that prayer before. I prayed it previously. But Randy, I'm living with guilt from unconfessed sin and it's, it's just like you described, it's that knot in my stomach, it's that heaviness, I get it, I'm living with it right now. Let me remind you, it's just a warning light. It's not something God intends for you to live with. It's a warning light to say something's wrong, fix this. Guilt's not a punishment. Start with confessing your sin and do it right now. Others of you in the room would say this. I've confessed my sin. I've been saved. I've asked God to forgive me of my sins since then, but I can't get past the guilt of my sin. Listen, the only way to truly heal from guilt is to stop focusing on what you're not and start focusing on who Jesus is. It's the only way. Look at Hebrews 12 too, I love this. The author said, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Jesus died for your shame. He died for your guilt and the, the guilt and the heaviness that you carry. He died for that and he despises that and he doesn't want you to live with that. And God's been taking care of guilt for centuries. Let me close with this. All the way back in the Old Testament, Joshua chapter five. Joshua has led Israel to reestablish their covenant ceremonies with God. And check out what, how God responds in verse number nine. It says, then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt, God's been dealing with, 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 with guilt and shame for years. He doesn't want you to live with that. He wants you to live as a forgiven person. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus's final words to his disciples in the upper room. They are about to enter the darkest moment in history, and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and apart. So please stay connected 
Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.